Well, good morning. I have to say I feel naked up here wearing shorts, you know. I don't usually wear shorts to church. And someone has already come up to me this morning and said, So, Pastor Steve, were all your other clothes in the wash? You know, but, but I'll tell you what happened. When I was getting ready this morning, you know, I, I look out the window this morning and I see it's raining outside. And I think, oh no, this is a church picnic. We really want to have good weather. And I turn on the TV and there on the TV, the guy is saying, no, it's going to rain all day and, and blah, 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 blah. And, and, I, and I walk in, you know, to, to get ready and I, I figure I'm just going to put on what I normally wear. I'm just going to put on long pants and I'm sure it's going to be inside today. But then I said to myself, no, no, dress for warm weather, be ready for sunshine. If that's really what you feel that, that God wants to do, then prepare for it. And you know what? I, I think there's something about that. I think there's something about expectancy when we come to God. There's something about faith that requires a level of expectancy on our part. Heard the story about a, uh, a community in the island of Crete years ago and it was a very very hot summer and they had, had no rain and their crops were all dying and the priest went to this community and they called all the people together and he said you know we need to have rain or our livelihood is going to be gone. We need to have a special prayer for rain. So this coming Sunday, I want you all to come. I want you to take a few days beforehand to fast, to believe God, and then to come ready and expectant to meet with God on Sunday to pray for rain. And the people went away to their homes, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they came that Sunday morning. But as soon as they came walking into the church, the priest said, Nope, there's going to be no prayer for rain today. Everybody go home. You don't believe. And the people said, no, we, we're, we're here, Father. We, we've come expectantly. We believe. And the priest said, oh, so you believe. Then where are your umbrellas? <laughs> and isn't faith like that sometime? We kind of come to God and we believe, but we don't really expect to receive the things that we ask for. I want to talk today about faith. What is faith? And I want us to turn our Bibles to Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you have saved Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew and a bowl full of water came out. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground around was covered with dew. Heard the story of a pastor's son and the mother was telling this boy, you know, go get ready for dinner, go wash your hands. And the kid said, why do I have to wash my hands? There's no problem, dirt is good for you. You know, I don't have to wash my hands before I eat. And the mother tried to explain to him, no, you see, there's these little tiny microscopic things called germs that's in the dirt. And that's why you have to wash your hands really well before you come to dinner. And the kid went away and was kind of huffing and as he went, 
His mom heard him saying, germs in Jesus, germs in Jesus. That's all I ever hear around this house, and I've never seen either of them. <laughs> and isn't it true that, that part of our faith involves a belief in something that we don't necessarily see with our eyes? You know, we believe in a God that, and we trust that He is real, and He's alive, and He's with us here in this place right now, even though we don't physically see Him. So what is faith? What is faith all about? Let me suggest to you this morning that there are three aspects, three steps of faith. The first, the first step of faith is trusting in your head. Trusting in your head. That is understanding what God could do. Understanding what God could do. In Judges chapter 6, it's a wonderful chapter. If you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it. The story of Gideon is amazing. This amazingly large army called the Midianites have come out against Israel. Probably between 400 and 500,000 soldiers are marching against the nation of Israel. One of the largest armies that they have ever faced. And God goes to Gideon. And he calls Gideon. We read about this in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, then why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us here into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, If I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. <coughs> this angel comes to Gideon and says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, boy, did you go to the wrong house? <laughs> you know, I am the, the least in my family, and my family is the smallest in Israel. Oh, if, if I was a great general of a great army, if, if I was the head of the largest house in Israel, well, then maybe I may be able to muster up an army to go up against these Midianites. But, but who am I? I mean, I'm a nobody. I have no army. I have no strength. You got the wrong guy. And so he asks God for a sign. This seems to be a reoccurring theme in Gideon's life. He asks God for a sign. He says, okay, if it's really you speaking to me, God, I'm going to go make us some lunch. And, and we can sit down and we can talk about it over lunch. And so Gideon runs off. He cooks a goat. He makes some bread. He brings it all back. I mean, you can just see this angel waiting here the whole time. Because, I mean, whipping up a goat and some bread is not like a five-minute deal. You know, they didn't have microwaves back then. So... This angel sitting around, and finally they, they bring the goat, they bring the bread, they present it all to the angel, the angel touches it, poof, it all goes up in a cloud of smoke, and the angel disappears. And Gideon's like, oh, okay, that's, that's not bad. <laughs> Proof number one. Sometime later, though, this angel comes back and says, now is the time. Now we're going to go out against this army. And Gideon again asks for a sign. He says, okay, I'm going to take a fleece. Everyone know what a fleece is? When you shear a sheep, 
The stuff that's left over, all that wool that's kind of laying there on the ground. You, you, you pick up a big bunch of that and that's a fleece. It's a, it's a bunch of wool that's left over after you shear a sheep. So he says, okay, I'm going to take this, this fleece. And I'm going to take this fleece, I'm going to put it outside. And if there is dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. In other words, if the fleece is wet and the, gr- the ground is dry, then I will know, God, that you are with me. Why? What, what does fleece have to do with an army? Well, if God is able to control supernaturally nature, God is also able supernaturally to defeat an invading army. And so that's what happens. It's a simple test. And it happens exactly as God had, or as Gideon said. He goes out, and not only is the, the fleece wet, it says he wrings it out and he gets a whole bowl full of water. And yet the ground around it is completely dry. You know, the first step of faith is understanding what God is able to do. Because let me tell you something. If you do not believe in a God of miracles, you will never ask God for miracles. Right? You have to believe, number one, that God is able. That the God of yesterday is the same God of today who's still moving in the earth. He's still doing miracles, even today. The faith that we rest in is not an unreasonable faith. Someone once said that faith is believing something that you know isn't true. And that's not right. That's not right. Faith isn't just believing something that you know isn't true. It's not saying, I believe that the moon is made out of green cheese, therefore the moon is made out of green cheese. Well, how do you know that? Because I know that. Well, you don't really know that. You just think that. You know, it's not just putting your faith in something that's unreasonable. We have a reasonable faith. In fact, I believe that it's much easier to believe in the existence of God as it is not to believe in the existence of God. There's more proof for the existence of God from the argument of design and the argument of movement and the argument of conscience. There's more around us that we see as the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's more to prove God exists than there is to disprove God. It's not unreasonable to believe in the existence of God, nor is it unreasonable to believe that the Bible is true and the Bible is accurate and it is reliable. I believe if you look at the historical documents, you look at all the stuff, you can believe that what we have is truly what God gave us. That there is a basis of our faith, a rational basis for our faith. That our faith is a reasonable one. As John Stott has said, has said, faith is a reasoning trust. A trust which reckons thoughtfully and confidently upon the trustworthiness of God. When I was in my first year of university, you know, I had a terrible first year of university. I gave up on my faith. I kind of went away from everything that I had believed when I was a kid. And God had kind of a Damascus Road experience with me in my, at the end of my first year. And, um, and I came back to Him. But when I went back to school for my second year of university, I was scared. I was scared that I would fall back into disbelief. I was scared that I would go back and, and, and chuck what I had learned again. And, and so a couple of friends and I, we decided to form a club. 
and it was called the Heretics Club. We picked up the phone and we started calling all the churches in town. I was at the University of Guelph, so this was in Guelph. We called up all the churches in town and when, the, when we got a hold of the pastor, we said, you know, there's myself and there's a couple of other guys. Could we meet with you once a week to ask you all of the hardest questions we can think of about the Bible? And this pastor said, sure. And so we started what was called the Heretics Club. We got together once a week, met with this pastor, brought all the hardest questions we could possibly think of, sat down and asked this guy these questions. And through that year, we struggled through the issues together. And at the end of it, I realized something. That the Bible was a book that was able to defend itself. That there were answers to the hardest questions that we could pose if we took the time to look for them. Our faith is a reasonable faith. But, let me say to you, it's only the first step of faith. Because trusting in your head is not enough. Because ultimately, God is not a God that we can fit under a, a, a microscope. There are elements to our faith that go beyond our own reasoning. We believe that God is a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit completely separate and yet completely one at the same time. How does that work? I have no idea. We believe that Jesus was completely man and completely God at exactly the same time. How did that work? I have no idea. My mind can't comprehend that. And there are some things about the Bible that we don't understand. We can't intellectually get our heads around them. Why? Because God is infinite and we are not. I had many Muslim leaders when we lived in Kuwait come to the church and they would sit down in my office and they would ask me questions about Christianity. And they would usually say the same thing. They would say, well, you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That means you believe in three gods. No, we believe in one God in three persons. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Explain that to me. And I said to him, well, I can try to explain that to you, but really it doesn't make total sense to me either. It's a concept that's beyond what we can understand. And they would immediately shout back, well, you can't believe in something you don't understand. And my response would be, if God is infinite, then why should we understand absolutely everything about Him if we are finite? If your God is so small that you can understand everything there is about Him, then maybe that God is not a real God but it's a God that has come out of your own limited understanding. The head is not enough. It's a good first step, but trusting in your head is not enough. T.S. Eliot once wrote that the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on that belief. There's a lot of people and you can give a very effective evangelistic witness to them, but they're not going to receive. Why? Because simply trusting in your head is not enough. As one man once wrote, most people are brought to faith in Christ not by argument for it, but by exposure to it. The first step of faith, trusting in your head. It's a good first step, but it's not enough ultimately. So you move on to the second step. What's the second step of faith? Well, it's not simply trusting in your head, it's trusting in your heart. 
Trusting in your heart. In this story, Gideon goes back to God and says, Okay, God, that was pretty impressive. You know, I put the fleece out there and the ground was all dry, but the fleece was full of water. That's pretty impressive. But, you know, let's try this one more time. Let's do this one more time. This time, I'm going to take the fleece out and I'm going to lay it on the ground and I want all the ground to be soaking wet around it and yet I want the fleece to be completely dry. Well, what's the point of the second miracle? I mean, doesn't Gideon already now understand that God is able to do the supernatural? He should. He just showed him. God has just shown Gideon a miracle, that God is the God of the impossible. And yet it's not enough for Gideon. And so he asks for the exact same miracle in reverse. And what does God do? He does it. He goes out the next day, the, Gideon, the, the, the Gideons finds a fleece dry and the ground around it, around it soaking wet. So why the second miracle? Because sometimes it's not enough to simply know what God could do. It's what God would do. In other words, it's not enough to know that simply God is able to do something. You must also understand that God is willing to do something. It's one thing to understand that God can get you out of this mess that you've gotten yourself into. It's another thing totally to say that God will get you out of this mess that you have found yourself in. Basically, Gideon is saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure that you're going to do what you said? Are you sure that you're going to defeat this great army by my hand? A lot of people find it easier to trust their hearts than to trust their heads. They, they just seem to be wired that way. There are people that just, they just trust their heart. Even when, when things don't make sense logically, they just trust their hearts. You know, this is why you, 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 uh, people will come in for counseling and you'll have a, a girl who will come in for counseling and she'll say, you know, I, I, I've been dating this, this guy and I love this guy and I'm going to marry this guy. And you say, is he a Christian? No. Well, don't you think, do you think this person's going to be a good husband? Well, probably not, you know. Well, well, then why are you marrying? Because I love him. Intellectually, she knows it's wrong. And yet, in the heart, she can't, it doesn't matter. Believing in your heart and not your head. I, I went through this phase in my life where I love talking to Mormons. You know, I got myself the Mormon evangelistic manual that they would read in order to go house to house and they would sit down with people and they would go through these 10 points with people and so I got a hold of that book so I knew what they were going to say before they said it and I studied that book and I would just wait you know here comes a Mormon oh man are they in for it this time and they would come to the door and they would knock on the door and I would open it up immediately and they would say excuse me and I would say please come in <laughs> before they even had it out and they sit down and I'd say, now the first thing you're going to say to me is this, but this is my answer. And the second thing you're going to say to me is this, but here's my answer. And the third thing, and they'd be kind of just looking at you and their eyes would get really big. And you'd go through all the arguments and then you say, now what? The book is done. Now what? Here's why I believe in Jesus. And you'd go through all the arguments and they'd sit there and they'd listen and, and, and finally they would always get down to the same point, the same place. I would say, how do you know that what you believe is real? 
And they would say, I believe it because I believe it. That makes no sense. I believe it because I... That makes no sense. I believe it because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. Well, how do you know it's true? Because I believe it. Well, how, why do you believe it? Because I know it's true. Well, why do you know it's true? Because I believe it. it may, it's a circular argument. It makes absolutely no sense. They describe this warm feeling that they get inside of them. It's this warm feeling that just, I know that it's true because of this, this nice warm feeling that I have inside of me. Well, that could have been lunch. You know? Indigestion. That's, you don't base your faith on indigestion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because you want to believe something doesn't mean it's true. You see, trusting in your head is a good start. Trusting in your heart is a good second step. But it's not enough because the heart is deceitful. Because the heart is wicked, the Bible says. It's easy to believe God when everything is going your way. As someone once wrote, faith on a full stomach may be simple contentment. But having faith when you're still hungry, then you know it's genuine. Easy to believe God when you've got money in the bank, when you've got food on your table, when you're healthy and all your kids are doing well. It's easy to believe God when everything is going your way. It's when things get tough. It's when the tough times come. Then is your faith genuine. Believing in your head, number one. Believing in your heart, number two. But what's the third and final step of faith? It's not believing in your head. It's not simply believing in your heart. It's believing in your heavenly Father. On the basis of your relationship with Him, it's trusting that He will do what is right. That, ultimately, is what biblical faith is all about. Your head will let you down because you're not smart enough. Your heart will let you down because it doesn't know sometimes what it wants itself. But God will never let you down. The one who has been faithful in the past will be faithful to you in the future. Arthur Evans once wrote that faith is not a sense, nor a sight, nor a reason. It is taking God at his word. And that's true. It's taking God at his word. You see, there's an element of faith that requires action. There's an element of faith that is an act of the will. You can know something here, and you can believe something here, but faith is going beyond that and taking a step of action. I know I've given this example before, but I remember the first time I went skydiving. You know, we went through three hours of classes about skydiving, how to pack the parachute, how to get out of the plane. There were 10 steps. You have to touch this and do this and put your foot here and do this. And then and after the 10th step, finally you're at a point where you could jump out and, and it, everything would go well, hopefully. Three hours of classes, all these steps. I have a mock-up of the door where you practice all of this a number of times. And then the time comes and you get in that plane. And you're thousands of feet up in the air. And I had this, this friend of mine that was right sitting in front of me. And, and the time came and they opened up the door. And he went to step one and went to reach out to do, you know, to grab the, 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 the handle of the door, which was step number one. And he missed the handle and the wind sucked him out the side of the plane. And he was gone. Just gone. 
He had been sitting there, and then he wasn't. Just this rope hanging out the, the side of the plane, and she pulled in the rope, and he wasn't on the end of it anymore. She kind of looks out the window, looks out the door, says, okay, your turn. <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. He didn't even get to step number one. He was just sucked out the side of an airplane. I am not doing this. I am going down with this airplane and you are going to land. And you know, No, I mean, did I want to jump out of that plane? Of course I did. We had driven a long way. We had paid a lot of money. In my heart, I really wanted to jump out of that airplane. Did I think I was going to be okay? I did. I mean, I saw the parachute. I understood the mechanics. I understood all the, 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 the stuff. I knew it here, and I knew it here, but I didn't know it, you know, back here. Because <laughs> I was sitting on the ground and I wasn't moving. And she kind of looked at me. And she said, are you going to go or aren't you going to go? And I had to make a decision. And so I reached over, <laughs> hand I grabbed that door handle, step number one. And then the rest of it was easy, step two, three, four, five, six. I think I got up to about eight before I finally lost it and fell out the door. But, you know, I did better than my friend, so I was okay. You know, so um, the principle is this. You can know it here, you can know it here, but ultimately faith is jumping out of the door. It's trust. It's trusting your heavenly Father that the God who has brought you this far is not going to leave you. When my kids were young, we lived in a place in Kuwait that had a pool. And I remember one of our kids was very young. She was just learning how to walk. And I had jumped in the pool, and she was kind of standing there at the side of the pool. She didn't even have her water wings on yet. She just kind of calmly walked to the side and jumped in. She didn't know how to swim. She, I mean, she just walked up, whoop. And I'm like, I turn around, fortunately, just at the right time, and go, whoa, and I come running over, and I grab her, sort of thing. And, and, and I'm like, why did you do that? You don't just jump into a pool. This is dangerous. And she just kind of looked at me like, what's the big deal? You caught me. I knew you would, you know. My dad's in the pool. My dad can swim. Therefore, logically, as long as I'm with my dad, I'm Okay. something very true about that folks as long as I'm with my father I'm okay doubt is not the opposite of faith it is an element of faith because you see without doubt there would be no true faith faith is knowing that he who called you will be faithful and as long as you're with God everything is going to be okay you know, years ago, Naomi and I were on the ship. We had spent uh, some time on the island of Malta, and we were sailing for the island of Cyprus. And as we were sailing, it was about a three-day journey, a storm came up on the Mediterranean. And this was a bad storm. There were waves. I mean, this is a big ship. We're talking about a 300-foot-long ship with big engines in it. And this ship, the waves were coming way over the top of it. 
when we're laying in our bunk at night, we're, we're, we're laying in our bunk, and you could actually, have you ever heard a wave coming? These were such big waves, you could hear them coming. You would hear, and then suddenly it would hit. A boom, and a rattle, 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 all the way down the side of the ship. And then you count to ten, and boom, rattle, 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 all the way down the ship. I remember at one point, we're out on the deck, and I'm just looking, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. And then I opened up my Bible to the book of Acts. And I read this account of a time when the Apostle Paul was in the exact same spot that we were. Not in the middle of a storm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about geographically. He was in exactly the same spot. He was sailing from Cyprus to Malta. And they faced that same storm that we were facing. And it was a bad one. It says in Acts 27:20, 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. You ever been in a place like that? The storm is raging against you and you just give up. You look around you and you think, logically speaking, there's no way we're going to survive this. I mean, I was scared on a 300-foot-long metal ship with big engines. Paul was on a little wooden sailing ship being driven hopelessly, helplessly by the waves. They had given up. And this had not been on for an hour or two hours. It had been days and there was no sign of the storm letting up. And they had given up. But you know what? Paul reasoned this. He said, you know what? I may be in the middle of a storm right now and everything around me may be telling me that this is it, that we're about to die. But you know what? God told me that I was going to proclaim the gospel in Rome and I haven't been to Rome yet. And if God told me... I was going to proclaim his gospel in Rome and I have not been to Rome yet. That means this is not the end. This isn't it. We're going to be okay. And so in Acts 27 verse 25 he says, Keep up your courage men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. That no matter what is happening around me, no matter how bad the situation looks, it's going to work out okay because God is going to be true to his word. Gideon learned this lesson. He learned this lesson. He went out from this encounter with God and he went up against this army of Midian. He was able to muster 32,000 men from Israel to fight this vast army of like 500,000. 32,000 was nothing. And yet God says, you know what? Too many. You may think that there are 32,000 really strong guys and that somehow it was in your own power. So too many. And so he says, whoever wants to go home can go home. And then 22,000 leave. 10,000 left. And then God says, still too many. Go down, have a drink. He weeds them out. 9,700 leave. 300 left. 300 guys. There are more than 300 people in this room right now. Look at this. Imagine this group going against a seasoned army of more than 500,000 people. It's ridiculous. And yet with those 300 people, God completely destroyed the enemy army, completely annihilated it. That's faith. 
Many people say to God, God, show me and I will believe in you. And God says to them, believe and I will show you. Faith is not simply trusting your head. It's not simply trusting in your heart. It's believing in God. So where are you at today, oh mighty warriors? You may be saying, you know, I'm, I'm the least in my family and, and, you know, we as a church are not a big church and we're out here in the country and, and what difference can we make in the world? And God says you can make a big difference in this world if you will believe, if you will have faith. Maybe you're going through a storm today. Maybe you're facing a storm like the Apostle Paul had and everything just seems hopeless. Maybe God wants to remind you, you know what, I'm not done with you yet. I am not done with you yet. This is not the end. You know, as a family, we have accepted a call to a church in Brampton. And I tell you, that's a step of faith. Whenever you pick up from one place and move to another, it's a step of faith. There's all kinds of things that have to fall into place. You know what? We, in three weeks' time, we have already committed to purchasing a new house. And yet our house here hasn't sold yet. You know, if this house doesn't sell and we have to go there, and you know what? There is huge potential there for disaster, financial ruin, all right? And you know what? Every now and then, I catch myself going, ugh, wait a minute, if this, if this doesn't happen, and then I catch myself, it's like, it's okay, it's okay. God has told us to do it. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And so I wear shorts today. I don't know if it's going to be sunny out this afternoon. Just because I wear shorts doesn't mean that God has to make it sunny. But I do know this, that whatever happens, it's going to be a good day. As we end this service, as we walk out those doors, you know, I can't see it. I can start to smell it a little bit. But they've told me that there's food waiting out there for us. I can't see it, but I believe it. Because I believe the ones who told me about it. And so as we go through this week, let's remember who walks with us. And let's remember that God is faithful to his word. And let's remember it's not just about believing in your head and believing in your heart. It's about taking an act of faith, of getting out of the door of the airplane, of trusting in God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you want what is best for each one of us, that, Father, you have what is good in mind for each one of us, and that, Father, you have promised us in your word that you are for us and you are not against us and that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so, Lord, we just pray. Father, like Gideon, sometimes we seek signs. Sometimes, like Gideon, we falter. And we ask, God, are you sure? God, are you really able to do the impossible? I would just pray that through your word and through your spirit now, that, Father God, you would just reaffirm in each one of our lives that you are with us. And Lord, if there is anyone here today that's going through that storm, if there's anyone here today that's having a crisis of faith, that maybe they've gotten their eyes off you, or maybe, Lord, they, they, they're just concentrating on the storm that's around them, 
I pray, Father, that you remind them again that you are near, that you are with us, Lord, that you are here. We thank you, Father, for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as the team sings this last song, at the end of this song, they're going to give the benediction. The food is out here uh, on the covered uh, driveway. Head out these doors, and it'll be right there. God bless you. I hope you have a great... Oh, and we have some announcements from Annie. And Annie's going to come up after the song and give the announcements. So, so I know you're going to want to run for the door as quickly as you can. But just wait one second for instructions after the benediction.